Now we are going to continue our exposition of the book of Colossians. We've already finished chapter 1. Now this is going to be difficult because as you know, time is running out for me. And as I mentioned before, I feel like the devil now. I know my time is short, so I'm getting a little, I get, I'm getting a little uh, frustrated as to what I can finish. Uh, today, though, we're going to try to do as much as we can on chapter 2. This is a fantastic book, this letter, this epistle of Paul to the Colossians. Paul's major concern here is the maturing of the saints. And he wants to emphasize that maturity comes through our knowing the Word of God because the Word of God, the written Word, leads us to a better understanding of the living Word, Jesus Christ. He brought that out in the very first verses of chapter 1. He's going to be focusing on that today in chapter 2. And his desire, Paul's desire as a pastor, as a preacher for believers was that they would experience Christian maturity. And this desire on the part of Paul, this passion on desire on the part of Paul was so great that it motivated him to excel or to exert all of his physical, spiritual, and emotional strength in seeking to bring it about. In other words, as the men in the leadership training classes are studying now, Paul knew his what do you call it, fellas? Sphere of anointing. He knew his place of anointing. And that's where he placed his passion in proclaiming the word of God so that the people of God may become mature in Christ. Paul knew what it was that God had called him to do, and he did it with passion. Paul states very, he states this very clearly and graphically in the first chapter, especially verses 24 through 90 of 29 of chapter 1. Now, as you recall, in the closing verses of that chapter, he vividly describes the physical sufferings that he was willing to undergo on their behalf in order to proclaim Christ to them through the word of God, as this was essential to their maturing in their faith. Notice what he says. Let's look at it again. This is Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to encourage you, Although we have it on the screen, if you have your Bibles, please open your Bibles and follow it along as well. This is one of the disadvantages of using the screen. Many people don't look at their Bibles anymore. But I want you to open your Bibles and follow along. If you feel you need to make a note, please do that. But this is what he says. This is the New Living Translation. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. This is the Apostle Paul now speaking to these Colossian believers who had never seen. He says he was happy, he was glad that he was able to suffer physically in order to get the word out to them. He says, for I am participating in the suffering of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Now, as we mentioned last time, this has nothing to do with the suffering of Christ. It has to do with the redemption of our sin or redemption of us as believers. Because Christ's physical suffering has nothing to do with paying the price for our sin. It's his spiritual sufferings on the cross, especially within those three hours when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he's trying to show now that when believers are persecuted on earth, they're actually persecuting Jesus Christ as well. 
When believers suffer for the cause of Christ, Jesus Christ is actually suffering himself because he is the head of the body. It's a very important truth there. And he develops this now in chapter 2 even more fully because now he describes not the physical sufferings he was, un, he was ready to undergo in order to share the gospel, but also the spiritual suffering. And he gives us an illustration of this spiritual struggle for them, especially in prayer. And he warns them about false teachers whose, whose erroneous handling of the word could hinder their spiritual growth and vitality. That's one of the major points he's making here. If you do not receive the word of God accurately, you will not grow spiritually. You may think you're growing, but it'll be a false growth because it wouldn't be a growth from God. It'll be a growth from man or from yourself. And the word of God can only affect you spiritually if it is preached and taught accurately. Now, this is a very amazing passage, fascinating passage of scripture. We wish you had time to go through it uh, very carefully, but of course we don't. Because Paul reveals his heart in this passage. Let's try to work our way through, though, through it, though, with the help of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says in verse 1. I want you to know how much I have agonized. That's the New Living Translation. I think the King James says struggle. Or another translation says wrestle. What he is describing here is his spiritual struggle or wrestling or agonizing for the people of God. This is actually an athletic metaphor or illustration that describes Paul's anxieties and deep concerns for the Christians. It has to do with a wrestling, a struggling, um, as I said, he mentions this also in verse 29 of chapter 1. But he does it in the power of the Spirit of God. And it shows also the inner spiritual struggle with which a preacher, a teacher of the Word is involved when they teach the Word accurately. It is a spiritual battle. The devil does not want the Word of God to be preached accurately. He doesn't mind it being preached erroneously. In fact, he helps people with that. But he does not want the word of God to be preached accurately. And so there's all kinds of struggles, even when the preacher, the pastor, is studying the word of God. You can feel the struggle going on. I'll never forget an experience I had some time ago, right there in my home. I studied late in the evening. And one night I was studying about the holiness of God in Isaiah. And I remember as I was dwelling, as I was getting deeper into the meaning of what Isaiah saw in chapter 6 when he looked at the Holy One, I felt really that God was right there with me. I had to actually get up from my desk and move away because the struggle was so much. I felt that there was a battle going on. And that's the kind of thing that goes on when you or me or anyone else who wants to read and study the word, especially to proclaim it, undergoes all the time when we do it from a spiritual point of view. He said, I want you to know how much I have agonized or struggled or wrestled for you. Notice that, for you. 
and for the church at Laodicea. He's saying, I did this for you, although I have never seen you. I also do, do it for the church at Laodicea. There was a group of churches in that area, and it's a valley. And it seems that um, uh, Paul was familiar with these churches, but he had never visited them. It appears as though Epaphras is the one who planted these churches in this particular area. For the church at Laodicea, and also he says, I'm doing it for many other believers who have never met me personally. So really, we could extend to that to say Paul was also struggling in prayer for us today as well. Now, it's going to be important to see what it is that he is struggling with in prayer. What is he praying for? Well, now, as we go through this passage and I want to make sure you see it, let me say it here. Paul was concerned for the spiritual maturity of the believers including you and me. He agonized in prayer for us, just as Jesus did in John chapter 17. Remember, Jesus says, I pray not for these apostles or disciples alone, but also for those who will believe through their word. Paul, Jesus prayed for us. Paul prayed for us as well. And I want you to know that we also pray for you. And we will continue to pray for you even while we're not here any longer because we too desire, and deeply so, your maturing in the faith. Now, what did he pray for? Well, look at what, look, look what he says in the next phrase. I want them, or I want you, to be encouraged. Now, that's a powerful word here. You have to study this word. This doesn't just mean to be May make one happy or pleased or satisfied. It is the word that comes from being grounded or stable. The word actually comes from the same word where in John, where it talks about the Holy Spirit being the paracletos, one who comes alongside to help. The idea is that you're walking along and you're struggling with a weight. The Spirit of God comes alongside and stabilizes you. He strengthens you. He empowers you. He enables you to do what you need to do. That's the word here. So it's best to see this saying, I want you to be stabilized. I want you to be grounded. And we'll see later he's talking about being grounded in the word. And second, he says, I want you to be knit together. It's another powerful word of a close bond. It reminds us of his words in Ephesians 4. He says that we should keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. But here he's saying, knit together by strong ties of love. And I, you remember, and I keep saying this to you over and over here, my one prayer for you as the people of God, members of the incredible body of Christ, is that you might be known for your love for God and your love for one another. That's what Paul is praying for here. That love might bind us together so much that we will not allow any kinds of divisions or any kinds of misunderstandings or what anything else to separate us and to break that unity of the spirit. Notice what he says now. Why, does he, why is he praying for this stability and for this being knit together in love? I want you to have complete confidence. I want you to have complete confidence, deep assurance, no doubting at all. Why? That they understand, see that? They understand God's mysterious plan. King James says mystery. It's not just that you hear it or hear about it. 
this mysterious plan, this mystery, but that you understand it. That's the point. You understand it. That's the only way you can be stabilized. That's the only way you could be grounded. That's the only way that you could really be knit together in love if you understand the mystery. What mystery? Which is Christ himself. So he's praying that we might come to understand Christ more fully. How does that come about? By knowing the word of God more fully. He's saying that he's praying that believers might be stabilized by fully understanding the word of God that reveals the person of Christ. Now it's important for us to understand that the written word, if it's understood properly, always leads us to the living word. Paul wants them to know and to understand the written word, that it will lead them to a fuller understanding of the living word. You remember what Jesus Christ himself said when he spoke to the Pharisees? He says, you search the scriptures. Why do you search it? For in them you think you have eternal life. In other words, these Pharisees, these Sadducees were students of the word of God. And they believed that they could find eternal life in the scriptures. Notice he says, these are they which testify of me. In other words, he says, you're doing the right thing. You're looking for salvation. Go to the word of God. You'll be led to me. You'll be led to the living word. The scriptures reveal Jesus Christ. That's why it must be taught. They must be taught accurately. I am, I guess it's age, I guess. But I'm getting frustrated now. I'm listening to a lot of preachers. Preachers who I used to respect. But now as I listen to them more and more, I, I really see that many of them are really not preaching the word. They're preaching their own thoughts things, their own philosophy, their own thinking, and then they look for passage of scripture to try to fit it into if they use scriptures at all. I listened to a man who was well respected. He gave a 50-minute message. Throughout that 50-minute message, he quoted one and a half verses in the Bible. One and a half. All the other rest was telling about his trip with his family uh, on a vacation and all kinds of things you work with. But for 50 minutes, this pastor who the word of God commands to preach the word was preaching about him and his family. And he only quoted one verse, one and a half verse. By that I mean he didn't finish quoting the second one. But yet, people were saying amen, amen. Not to the word of God, to the jokes that he was telling about the family. And I see that more and more and more. The word of God, but to many pastors now, is just a crutch to present their own philosophy, their own thinking. That's why I call it narcissist eisegesis. You know, narcissism is what? A love for yourself. Eisegesis is when you impose your truth upon the word of God. And that's what happened in day many, many times. You just listen yourself. Find it out. <clears throat> now. Let's move on here. Paul was teaching these, young, these people at Colossae because some erroneous teaching has been coming in. And basically speaking, because we really don't have time to go into it, it's a little involved. Basically speaking, they were trying to add on to Christ. They were trying to tell the people you needed more than Christ. 
if you're going to really mature in the faith. Notice what Paul says. <clears throat> in Christ, in him, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, these false teachers were saying that if you really wanted to have the full knowledge, full wisdom, you have to have this, this mystical experience where you are sort of taken outside of yourself and you have this mystical experience. Paul is saying, no, no, you don't have to go outside of Christ for wisdom or knowledge. In fact, he's going to say, you don't have to go outside of Christ for anything that pertains to spiritual life. Nothing at all. In him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge lie hidden. That doesn't mean that it's hidden away and nobody can find it. Hidden here has the idea of being stored away because it is precious. It's not that you can't find it, but it is kept secure, kept safe, because it is precious. Listen, believers. We, as believers in Christ, are spiritually wealthy because of God's wealth and generosity in Christ. You know, today we hear about this health and wealth gospel. Well, truly, when we go to the Word of God and we come to understand who Christ is, we have all the wealth that we want. All of it is found in Christ. So in this text, wealth here, all the treasures it's called, is the believer's understanding of the Word of God. That's our treasure. That's our wealth. Why? Because it leads us to Jesus Christ. So stop for a moment and thank God for the Word of God. Thank God for the revelation that he has given to us of himself. That's all the riches, all the treasures you could ever want. You remember Jesus was talking, when he was talking about the parables, he said he's like a steward who goes into the treasures and pulls out things old and new. That's what happens when we go to the word of God. All that we could ever need to have a relationship with God is found in the word of God. The written word leads us to the living word. The Christian wealth is in his or her thorough understanding of God's truth. The essence of God's revelation is Jesus Christ. That's the point. That's why I say to you again, when you go to the word and you study it, don't go and say, Lord, what do you have for me to do? What do you want me to do today? Give me a blessing from your word. Pray that you would come to know more about Jesus Christ. Pray that you will see Jesus in the scriptures because they speak of him. Paul is going to reveal that the better a Christian understand God's true revelation concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, the better he or she will be able to recognize and refute false doctrine. The reason why many young Christians today and older Christians too are going astray and being fooled and deceived by false teaching is simply because you don't know the word of God, which means you don't know Jesus Christ as close as you should. That is what Paul is saying. If you know the genuine, you will reject the counterfeit readily. You'll be able to recognize it right away. The truth we must lay a hold of here then is that God has revealed Christ. Well, let me put it this way. God has revealed in Christ, through the scriptures, all that the person needs to know to establish, to establish a relationship with him. Paul says in another letter, he says, 
He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. As you go through it again in the context, you'll see it has to do with the word of God, the promises of God. The word of God, the written word, is what leads us to a fuller realization and appreciation of the living word. Now, why is Paul telling them this? Why is Paul saying that all you need concerning your spiritual life and relationship to God is to be found in Christ? Why? Well, look at the next verse, verse 4. I am telling you this, why? So no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. What a timely verse this is for us today. This delusion here that he's talking about was done by means of eloquent reasoning, plausible arguments, and persuasive speech. You talk about motivational speakers. This is what Paul is talking about, you see. People who has, have a beautiful oratory, they look good, they sound good, some of them even smell good, you see. And they preach the word, and you don't listen to the content of the word anymore. All you're doing is looking at the medium, and you accept the medium rather than the message. You don't evaluate, you don't discern. This guy speaks good and he looks good. Look at him, he got big home, look at him, look at how he's dressed and all of that kind of a thing. I was listening to a <clears throat> another preacher the other day. He's talking about deception. And he, he stood out, he came out and he stood in front of the... Uh, Say, don't, like, don't I look nice? Look at my suit, look at my shoes. He says, but I want you to know that I'm deceiving you. And then he took off his shoes. I'm not going to take off mine. And he held it up like, and then he held it up. His socks had big holes in it. <laughs> Did it that. Then he took off his shirt and he took one arm out. Half of the shirt was gone. And it was the big red stain in there. And then he pulled it away. His shirt up here were all cut in pieces and strips. He did the same thing. He said, I ain't finished yet. He took it off like this, and he did the same thing. Big hole here, all strips and everything else. Now, how do you think I look right now? People say, man, you look disgusting. You say, I fooled you. I deceived you. And let me tell you something. That is happening with the people of God. Because a person can speak so eloquently. And he gives you all of these nice sounding things. He tells you everything you want to know. I listened to a message by Joel Osteen the other day. You might have heard it about grace is chasing you. That sounds good. But when you listen to it, it's not biblical at all. Not at all. None, nothing at all. He never talks about the need of repentance in order to receive the blessing of God. He's just saying God's grace is after you. He doesn't say in order for you to experience that grace, you might have to confess your sin. You might have to repent. He doesn't say anything about that. He just looks at the end product, not the process. We have to be discerning. That's what Paul is saying here. No one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Well-crafted. This is another interesting word here. It means to lay something aside, something else. That it looks the same, but it isn't. You have one argument here. You have another here. Both of them sounds the same. But the content is really different. The essence is really different. And so that's what he's saying here. It sounds like it's right, but it's wrong. 
sounds like it's true, but is erroneous. This is where the spirit of discernment comes in. So I repeat, the Christian's wealth is his or her thorough understanding of God's word. The essence of God's revelation is Christ. And so the better a Christian understands God's true revelation concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, the better he or she will be able to recognize and refute false doctrine. Those individuals who are truly close to Jesus Christ and really understand what Scripture teaches about him will not fall, easily, fall prey easily to false teachers. They might fall sometime, but not easily. We can start in a moment. This is Paul's major emphasis throughout this passage. We must understand the word of God thoroughly and accurately. And that's why he says, I am exerting everything I have in my entire being to proclaim the word of God accurately to you. That is also my passion. That is also my desire. Notice what he says, verse 5. He shows his heart now. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. This is an assuring passage for Paul. But let me personalize that if you don't mind by paraphrasing it this way in light of the fact that I only have three more strikes and then I'm gone. Verse 5. This is my paraphrase. For though I will be away from you, my heart will still be with you nonetheless. But I now rejoice that you are presently living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. That was Paul was saying to those people. That is what I'm saying to you as well. This is, was, that was his heart. That's my heart. So far, the believers at Colossae was holding their position against false teachers. But Paul feared that this condition could change. See, that's the point. It could change. And let me tell you, folks, a lot of things that change in the day that we thought would never change. A lot of things. Look at same-sex marriage. Look at acceptance of homosexuality. Look at the demand for abortion now on demand here in the Bahamas. Things could change. You say, no, it will never happen here. That's what they said in the United States. That's what they said in England. But things are changing. I just saw where a man was put in jail because he was preaching on the street and he was reading from Romans 1. The police came around and arrested him for hate speech. Hate speech for reading the Bible. It happened in England. It happened in Canada for reading the scriptures. They're called hate speech now. You said it can't happen here? Well, you better keep your eye on Urko because Urko now is formulating some same policies having to do with speech in the media. Watch out. Be on the alert. That's what Paul is saying here. Be aware. One translation puts his words like this, that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. They translate it this way. Uh, he was thanking God for the resolute firmness with which you stand together. The resolute firmness with which you stand together. They were standing together on the word of God that he had taught. And he was thanking God for that. But let's move on. He goes into verse 6 and verse 7. This actually is one of what we call a summary verses for the entire book. Right here. 
Let your roots grow down into him. Let your roots grow down into him. Who? Into Christ. So what he's saying here in the context is, let Christ, through the word, be the source of your spiritual life at all times. You remember in John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you can do nothing without me. He says, abide in me. Isn't that right? Now what does that mean? Some people say, well, that just means to stay where you are. It doesn't mean that at all. Abide in me. Whenever I come to that passage, I remember an illustration that Dr. Pentecost gave when I was in seminary. He said, out in Texas where he lives, he has a ranch, and they put posts in the ground. Now they don't go to the food, they don't go to the lumber yard necessarily and buy pieces of lumber. They go into the forest, cut down the trees, and put the limbs into the ground. He says, now when you do that, you go back several weeks later, you will see an amazing thing. You will see that some of those posts have started to spring leaves. Say so some didn't do it. Some cut from the same tree, planted alongside. They did not grow, but some did. Why? He says, because the one with the leaves were abiding in the ground. It means that he, it was drawing the resources, all of the nourishment that is needed from life from the soil in which they were planted. That's what he's talking about here when he says, let your roots grow down into Christ. In other words, get into the word. Get into understanding who Jesus Christ. Draw from him all the spiritual nourishment, all the spiritual resources that you can ever have because that's what you need to stand firm, to be stabilized. If you don't, you can fall prey to the false teachers. Let Christ, through his word, be the source of your spiritual sustenance at all times. And then he gives another illustration. He says, let your lives be built on him. He's saying the same thing, but in a different way, and he's adding something else to it. Now he's talking more about firmness and stability. Whereas when he's talking about roots, he was talking about drawing upon nourishment. He's saying here, build your life on the strong foundation of the word of God. Paul is teaching the truth that Jesus Christ taught his disciples. Remember what he said in Matthew 7? Anyone who listens to my teaching and follow it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now notice, he's not saying that he is the rock. He's saying that his teachings and obeying his teaching is solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse. Why? Because it is built on bedrock. And the bedrock is the one who listens to my teachings and obeys it. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Put it in the context of Colossians. He says, if you're not grounded in the word, you're not grounded in me, you're not taking your nourishments from me, when false teaching comes along, your life will collapse. Your spiritual life will go down the drain. Notice what he says here. Now, when you do this, when you draw upon Christ, when you draw upon the word for your nourishment in your spiritual life, when you build your life upon the word of God by 
understanding it and obeying it, then your faith will grow strong. Strong in what? In the truth you were taught. See that? Your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. Remember what he says in Romans? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But it must be accurately proclaimed. It must be proclaimed for the truth that it is. What he's actually saying is here, your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. My prayer for you will be answered because that's what he's praying for. That their faith will grow strong in the truth that they were taught. That's what he is praying for. Notice now, and you will overflow with thankfulness. This is a beautiful description of a mature Christian. This passage implies that those who lack a deep sense of thankfulness to God are vulnerable to doubt and spiritual deception. A thankful spirit, Paul seems to be saying, is a mark of Christian maturity. When a believer is abounding in thanksgiving to God, he's really making progress. He's growing in his faith. He's growing in the Lord. Now he gives some specific warnings. Because he wants to show them how important it is to stick to the word of God. And verses 8 through 15, and we'll only go through this quite rapidly, he gives some warnings. First he says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies. Empty philosophies. That means a concept, a thought, a philosophy that is vain, void of meaning. Man-made concepts, lacking connection to the word of God, lacking connection to Jesus Christ. That's empty. No matter how wise it may sound, like talk, Paul's about the world, Paul talks about the wisdom of the world in 1 Corinthians 2. And there is a worldly wisdom. It sounds good. It even looks good. But Jude says those kinds of teachings, that word of scripture, scriptural truth and so on, and no reference to Christ, is like clouds without water. They promise something, but they deliver nothing. That's empty philosophies. And then he says, and high-sounding nonsense. That's the New Living Testament. High-sounding nonsense. That's what I heard in some of the preaching. I heard a sermon the other day. The sermon was advising people to walk with Jesus Christ. Isn't that nice? He says, here what you should do. You should take a walk, an Emmaus walk with Jesus Christ. He says, you remember when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus? And uh, he met up with the disciples and so on. He opened the word to them and he says, did not our hearts burn within us as he walked along the way? He says, now you could have that same experience, but you need to walk with him for three days. He says, go out, don't take a lot of food, but go and walk the Emmaus way for three, for three days. He encourages people to go on a walk until they meet Jesus Christ. He said, now don't stop. One day they did it, and she kept a record of it. She walked for 101 days. And you should hear at the end of every day, I haven't met Jesus yet. I wonder if he loves me. 
I wonder if I could hold out because I only took a little bit of food and all on the kinds. And she says that she met and 101 days. And she ended up and says, I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't heard anything from him. See, that was a false teacher. Sounded good. This is where mysticism is coming back in the church today. Encouraging people to get along by the side and just think. Let your mind go. And let the Spirit of God come into your mind, into your consciousness. And think about Jesus. My friends, more than Jesus would come into your mind. That's the way that the demons, the evil spirits could come into your mind as well. But it sounds good. It sounds so mystical. It sounds so spiritual, you see. But it isn't. That's what Paul, he's going to talk about that in a moment. High-sounding nonsense. What is nonsense? Something that lacks sense. In the context, it has to do with sense. that has to do with the Word of God. Where does it come from? It comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. That's demons. Comes from yourself, it comes from other humans, but it also comes from demons. This is the time in which we live. Paul wants his people to be aware of the times in which we live. He says, it's from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. A lot of this is going on right now. So I encourage you to discern what you listen as you hear preachers today. Here's the reason why he says about Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Everything you want to know about deity or everything you want to know about God is to be found in Jesus Christ. You don't have to go outside of him. You don't have to go outside of yourself. You don't have to do all kinds of crazy things. Everything that you need, you have in Christ. And it is revealed to us in the word of God. He says, so you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Jesus Christ is supreme. We looked at that in the first chapter. He is sovereign over all. He is sovereign over us as the church. He's the head of the church. He's sovereign over demons as well. Listen, the demons have to ask Jesus what to do. Jesus don't have to ask the demons what to do, like some people are telling us today. No, no, he is sovereign over all of them. All that we need is to be found in Christ. And all that is told about Christ is to be found in the word of God. Now, let me close by giving you some of the major characteristics of the days in which we live. Because we are living in the days that Paul spoke about here. What are the day, what kind of days are we living in? Are you aware of the times in which you live. But let's look at some of the things that the Bible writers have said about the last days. Jesus himself. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man, what? Deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Notice the emphasis on deception. My point is here, we are living in an age of deception. Deception that was prophesied by Jesus and all the apostles. Listen to him again. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. 
and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Again, there shall rise false Christ, false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Notice the focus, the emphasis on deception. Again, Timothy says, or rather Paul says to Timothy, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except the coming of falling away first. That's the falling away from the truth, falling away from Christ. And the man of sin will be revealed who is the son of perdition. Again, he says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, in other words, specifically to the point, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. We're in those days right now. Giving heed what? To seducing spirits. Not to seducing men, although it's true, all women. Because let me tell you, you want to hear some false teaching? Listen to some of the women. I listen to a message. I'm listening to a lot of messages now to see if my theory about what people are preaching today is true to the word. And I hear so much foolishness. So much foolishness. I was give an example, but I might come back to it. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of demons, King James says. Some people say that means that you will be hearing about teachings about devils or teachings about demons. Now that's true, but that's not what is being said here. That preposition off is the preposition of source. In other words, it means that you will see these deceptions being taught, these doctrines being taught by demons. By demons. Yes, through individuals, but it's not the individuals who's preaching it, it's the demons who inhabit them. You remember Paul tells us elsewhere that the messengers of Satan go around like, what? Angels of light. Messengers of light. You see, and that's what he's talking about. This is the time in which we live. You have to understand that. Not everybody who gets up and says that I am a preacher of the word of God or I am a servant of God is a preacher of the word or is a servant of God. They could be deceivers. You must know the word of God and you must be so related to Christ that you'd be able to determine who they are. We need to beware, Paul says. Now, listen to this very carefully. I think it's on the screen. We cannot properly be aware of philosophy, foolish philosophy, unless we be aware of that philosophy. Do you understand what I'm saying? We won't understand the warning unless we know what it is we are being warned about. This is where spiritual discernment comes in. This is why you must understand the word of God so that you could be able to discern truth from error. Something else. Remember this passage? 1 Chronicles 12, 32. He's talking here about the people who went to join David when he was fleeing from Saul. A lot of people started to join him. And they enumerated these people. Then in verse 32 of chapter 12, it says this. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. Now notice this. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. I think the King James says, and knew what to do. 
They understood the times and they knew what to do. Listen, unless you understand the times in which you live, you will not know what to do. But you've got to understand the times. Where do we go for that? Go to the word of God. Things are going to be happening to us in this world in which we live that has never happened before. Not to the extent, anyway. We talk about demons. You're going to hear more and more about demons and the, and the afterworld. You, how many of you all watch TV? None of you all, right? None of you all watch TV. You younger people, what are you talking about today? All kinds of spirits, isn't that right? Demons coming to take over people and so on. All, it's all focusing on that. The devil is already preparing us, the world, for this kind of thing. And is going to be deceived. Many are going to be deceived because they don't understand the word of God. You've got to understand the signs of the times. Look at what's happening right here in Nassau, in the area of homosexuality, as I mentioned before, abortion. As I, we have leading doctors now who are calling for legalized abortion. We'd never heard of that before. You see, you, just recently, churches in England and the United States were sued by homosexuals because the churches refused to marry them. So now you know what the churches have to do? Stop marrying everybody. Otherwise, they could be sued. You see, now they could do it privately and so on. But churches have actually said we cannot, we have stopped marrying people now because we do not want to get sued. You say, oh, that'll never happen to the Christian Bahamas. Oh, yeah. If you don't be aware of the times in which we live, if you are not aware of the signs of the times, you'll be surprised. God's people, I think, will be the ones who are on the forefront of stopping these kinds of things from happening. But you've got to know the word of God and you have to be closely related to Jesus Christ. This is Paul's passion for the believers, that they might grow into spiritual maturity and they may understand the word of God so much, they might come to know Christ so intimately that they will not in any way be deceived in a world of deception. That's my prayer for you as well as the people of God. The emphasis that Paul makes in this passage is still with us today. The first, he talks about higher knowledge. This has to do with what is called Gnosticism or form of mysticism, that the only way that you could enter into the fullness of Christ is if you have this special experience and certain truths are taught to you and not to others. That's being taught today. The second is observance of laws to win God's love, legalism. Many Christians think that they have to do certain things in order to earn God's grace, to earn God's favor, to end, to earn God's love. That is not true. Legalism has no place in the life of a maturing Christian. Now, in the rest of the verses, he's going to talk specifically about some of these things that have to do with legalism. But the third is the belief that Beings other than Christ must mediate between people and God. This is also mysticism. People are being taught that you need someone to mediate between you and God other than Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've heard about channeling, but a lot of the people you listen to on TV, the preachers, 
Many of their messages, they say they received through channeling. One of the women, the famous women that we talked about sometime, she says she waits to hear the voice of her channeler as she speaks to you. So she's not speaking what she gets from the word. She's get, preaching the word she gets from what she hears from the spirit in her mind. The fourth is the practice of abstaining from things to earn merit with God, asceticism. This has to do with abstaining from food, abstaining from marriage. Now, some of these things are good, mind you, not abstaining from marriage necessarily, but abstaining from food and so on. But some people do it just so they could earn the favor of God. Some beat themselves. Some go through all kinds of physical punishment thinking they could earn favor from God. All of these things are being taught today. Next week, Lord willing, we look at some of them in the rest of the chapter. So I encourage you to read the chapter from verse 15 on to the end, verse 23, I think. You'll see some of the things he talks about. But remember this. You must understand the signs of the times and know what to do as a result of that. That means you must know the word of God. You must study the word of God. Some time ago, you know what this was called? You know what this was called that I stand behind? It was called the sacred desk. The sacred desk. Why? Because it was understood in the minds and hearts of people that the man who stands behind this has a sacred task to perform. And that was to preach the word of God, to preach the whole counsel of God in season, out of sight. Preach the word. Would you ever really hear that today about this being a sacred desk? It's far from it today. You get people doing all kinds of antics because of a loss of respect for the word of God. I trust that you here as the people of God at Calvary Bible Church will never do that. Will never do that. Because that's the only way that we can come into a close, intimate relationship with the living word. And that's through a proper understanding of the written word. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being so gracious as to reveal yourself to us through your word. The thoughts of God communicated to the thoughts of man, written down on the word of God through inspiration so that it could be proclaimed and illuminated by your Holy Spirit so that we might be able to obey it and in that way, build our lives upon the solid rock, the rock of the word of God, the living word, as well as the written word. Thank you for your word. And all of God's people said, amen.